dark. Hail your dark senior. Hail not mock needs. Hail your asir. Hail our O senior. And I welcome the Valkyries to summon me. Hail the day. Hail the sons of day. Hail to night and her sister. Hail the gods. Hail the goddesses. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Through the Thunder podcast. On today's episode, I interview a young man uh, in the UK who um, is an Anglo-Saxon pagan. His name is Elliot, and he offers some really interesting insight into his own journey, his practice, and his thoughts on some interesting things such as legends and fate. I hope you enjoy. Hi, good afternoon, Elliot, and welcome to Through the Thunder podcast. Really, really happy to have you on today, mate. Hello, thank you for having me. I was so excited when you said, oh, do you want to be on my podcast? And I jumped on it straight away. Of course, it's, uh, I knew I'd be missing an opportunity if I didn't get Elliot on. You're a man of many words, <laughs> and I think we should expose you to as many people as possible so they can be blessed by your, by your uh, wordsmanship. So I want to ask you, first of all, mate, um, tell us, tell, just for everyone who obviously doesn't know you, um, who is Elliot? Are you Norse pagan? What's the deal with that? So I, Elliot Rowan Broomfield, am a British person from the United Kingdom, and I would say that I am an Anglo-Saxon heathen or pagan, depending on what word you wish to use. Hmm. I don't, it's not that I'm not against no, it's not that I'm against Norse stuff. I'm completely for it. I do use it, especially since with the sources that Anglo-Saxons and other people have, you kind of need to rely on that stuff. But yeah. it's more of a identity thing because as an Englishman, uh, English kind of comes from Anglish and therefore Anglo-Saxon and it all ties in. We pretty much worship the same gods. There are a few exceptions where you're thinking, hmm, I wonder if they were in the Norse sources or not. Would that uh, be like would that be like Ostara, Eostra? I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, but it depends. Um it's got some dialect issues to some extent. There's Ostara, which is a German version, then there's like Eostra, which is Northumbrian um Anglo Saxon, then there's Istra, which sounds closer to Easter, which is the modern word for it. Okay. Um then there's obviously gods that I think all people, even if they are Norse, kind of understand our Anglo-Saxon like Warden and Thunor, which you can probably yep. know as Orthen and Thor. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's awesome, man. It's, it, it's, for me, it's really great to have interactions with people who are on the Anglo-Saxon path because I didn't mm. even know that that was a thing when I first started looking up um, mythology and stuff. I just didn't know Anglo-Saxon was a thing. I'd heard the name Anglo-Saxon, didn't really know what it meant. Um, and I think it is really important to that we need to read more books on 
um, Anglo-Saxon heathenry or, or paganism, and it's something that I'm doing just now when I'm reading um, Hammer, Hammer of the Gods, I think it's called. Ah, uh, yes, uh, I have that book. Great book. Yeah, it's, it's really uh, in-depth, so I'm, I'm going through it quite slowly because I feel that if I rush through it too quickly, like I do with a lot of books, I'm missing things. Um, it, I kind of got to sit and process it. But yeah, man, um, so I'm really, really great to, to speak to you about some Anglo-Saxon stuff today as well. Can you tell me, how did you come to this then? How, how, did, okay. how did you go in the path? Um, it, it took a few years, really. I think most people have a few years. Um, I would say... Ooh, it started around 14 years old, not like the actual belief in these gods specifically, but I was contemplating religion as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I've always been brought up atheist with, I guess you could argue, Christian influences, because I can remember one time when I was in infant school, I went to a church down my road, which is nice and old. And I guess you could say that's a Christian influence. But other than that, yeah. atheist. Um, yeah. And I contemplated religion. And I naturally, in a Christian cultural country, went to test the waters with Christianity and I started contemplating it um I eventually got to the point was like yeah maybe not but then I went through this very interesting Buddhist phase I didn't actually do anything that was actually properly Buddhist I just had like this Buddhist statue in my home on the stairway and I used to bow to it (laughs) I used to like cut my hands together and bow towards it and try and (laughs) practice it but I thought yeah this this isn't the life for me and even before this I kind of had a natural grasp and interest on Norse mythology, which at the time was the only form of this Germanic pantheon I actually had any idea of, and also Viking history. And so I thought, okay, why not? And I think you're probably going to find this with most people, is that when they read and listen to these stories, they kind of feel like this emotional feeling behind it, even if it's like happiness, sadness, or Mm. something, they get a reaction from it. It feels, you can feel it in yourself. Yeah. And I think oh sorry i just found us i just thought something that i think everyone listening will quite enjoy yeah go ahead the major turning point where it really got put into the path of being a heathen was when i went on a holiday to to germany with my mum southern germany to be a bit more precise and i was i think i was around 16 16 around then or maybe going into 17 i think i was close to 17 and we were in the south of germany which is very mountainous very beautiful and on one particular night, uh, it was pitch black nighttime and it was raining and you mm-hmm. could hear a little bit of thunder. And we were on our balcony, which was perfectly roofed. So we didn't get wet at all, but we could just see out into the darkness. And then there was. <laughs> and, <laughs> and what happened was the brilliant, the most marvelous lightning show you will ever even imagine. Oh, I. It's it's quite uh, hard to ex- to really describe it and put into words because it was just so mm-hmm. grand. So, yeah. you know, when you're watching a television, right? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. depending on your size of the television, it can be quite big. Well, picture the lightning coming from the top left downwards all the way to the top. I mean, bottom right in this expanding tree, almost like Idrisil itself, and it's all bright and glowing. And it and it was doing this for 15 minutes, maybe 20. And it was mm-hmm. lighting up the entire valleys of the mountainsides as if it was bright as day, if not brighter. And even then, that wasn't, this wasn't at the time when I was a heathen per se, but this was when I was really starting to think, hmm. Sure. And I was just thinking, oh, I know it's going to sound cringy, but this must be Thor, 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 and so on. Um, mm-hmm. Which I think in the German tongue, or one of the various German tongues back in the old days, he was known as Donar, which is like a yeah. D-O- yeah, so one could argue that I experienced Donar instead of Thor, but still, 
quite yeah, that, a powerful presence. You were saying like how um, you weren't like heathen necessarily, but you were you were definitely researching it. And it's something I talked about with Zach is like the more I kind of read and the more I felt emotions while reading it, as opposed to like, I've got nothing against any other religions, but when I did experiment with Christianity, I didn't really feel very much. Uh, mm. I felt a little bit. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like I'm a robot, but when I was reading, um, like, you know, Fete Edda and, and connecting with these stories, um, there was a lot of emotion there and it felt very close to home, almost subconsciously. So what I said, what mm. I was saying to Zach was, um, uh, the more I read, the more open to new experiences I became and the more receptive to these things. So maybe that's kind of like when you witnessed this amazing um, display of like lightning and thunder arcing through the sky, as you described, which sounds just awe-inspiringly incredible, by the way. <laughs> um, you're, you were beginning to be open to this and maybe that was... Would you, would you consider that like a defining moment for you? I think that is so far the defining moment. I, do, I haven't had any other moments where I'm thinking, yes, this is the power of the gods, but that by itself is so far the only thing and i love it to dear bits and i'll always remember that that's that's awesome man it's a, it's a great memory and um, also touched on something you just said about how um you talked about the, uh did you briefly talk about buddhism there didn't you you said you bowed to a buddha statue is that right oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. so so like i kind of went through that kind of thing where I, I looked at christianity first and i was listening to audiobooks from the bible and i was, I was listening to like teachings because obviously there's quite a lot of stuff in there to unpack and in a way Christians are very lucky in that they have like a really good network and resources mm. where people can explain things to you, these complex, somewhat complex ideas. And then, then I was like, okay, this isn't for me. This isn't going to work. Um, I think part of that was maybe because I don't know how you feel about it, but sometimes I feel Christianity is all about being like, it's like kind of like about being humble, being more kind of reserved, being quiet Um as opposed to it doesn't really want to celebrate people going out there and having great victories and gaining loads of wealth for themselves. Do you know what I mean? I think I am with you on that. I do agree. Um, I will admit, I haven't read the Bible per se. I haven't read the Bible, but I can kind of, maybe it's because most of my ancestors to a point were all Christians, whether they be Catholic or Protestant or perhaps even Puritan. But Mm -hmm. I, I can get that whole energy behind let's say saint george the patron saint of england the whole slaying the dragon and bringing christian i can actually kind of feel that whole pride behind that but when it comes to well i i don't want to disrespect christianity on christians like but there is like a certain thing to it where it's almost like you have to be what you said reserved and even though i'm not saying everybody should be screaming their lungs out on every single occasion I feel like mm-hmm. there should be moments where you should really be like, yeah, yeah, get into it, and so on. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. It's like um, you, you, you'll know more about this because again, I, I, I'm a person who reads the Edda and reads reads other sources, and I find it difficult to retain that vault of information. But you, you seem to be quite a good source in this. So maybe you'll know. Was Saint George not influenced by either like an Anglo-Saxon or Norse thing or something? Um, well, if I remember correctly. The real St. George was a Roman soldier, so he was technically a Roman, but he was born in what would be Turkey today in a very rich Christian family. And he went across the empire doing some soldier stuff, but he eventually got to Libya, or what would be Libya. And that's where he slew the so-called dragon. And basically, it was around the First Crusade where England, under Richard III, or the Lionheart, decided, this is our patron saint, he's going to represent us. 
And I think there is a variation, although I would personally say it's untrue. It's more of a, oh, that's cool kind of thing, where there's a British version of St. George where he does go and fight the dragon, but in Britain. And I think it's near a chalk drawing. Okay. Okay. I thought, I, I, think... I, correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, I just have this vague notion of like, is it not like Sigurd or something who fights a dragon? Ah, yes, you're right. It is Sigurd. I'm yeah, trying Sigurd. to remember the that... old Norse pronunciation, but I can't. Yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm sure like people were saying, oh, that's kind of like they, they maybe took that for St. George or something along those lines or were inspired by that story. But I don't know if that's true or not. It's just I'm sure I, I, I saw it somewhere. Doesn't mean it's fact or anything. I can understand why people would say that. And perhaps I'm being a bit too open minded here or too pious, if you will. But as somebody who kind of believes in the supernatural, I wouldn't be surprised if both these gentlemen fought dragons in their own right, in their own lands. Yeah, awesome. I mean, anything, anything's possible. Um, yeah. And then, and then, then, see, with regards to sort, just to go backtrack a bit, regards to the old Christian thing. I like, I moved away from it, and then, um, my mum passed away nearly a decade ago now, and I, w- I was like looking for something big, like I needed something to help me through that. So I touched on mm. Buddhism, and with Buddhism, things were a wee bit warmer, if you know what I mean. I like the yeah. concepts. I like the concepts of stuff they're talking about. It made sense to me. The whole like, like life is suffering and stuff like that, and. Uh, I can't remember it all now, right? But <laughs> to just just the various concepts, I was like, yeah, life is suffering, and all things must pass um, mm. and move on and stuff. And I just thought, for me, it was it was really uh, it was a uh, you know something to help me through a difficult time. But eventually, I just found some of the ideas. Maybe maybe I just didn't. Maybe I found them quite hard. I had to work work on them a bit, a bit too much. Whereas with with, with this which I've come to years later. Again, I just went back to being an atheist basically for years. Um, mm. With this is completely different. There's something, there's something I can't put, I think, can't put a finger on it. I don't know if you can. There's a gold mine here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is. There's something happening. I don't know what it is, but it's, uh, it's made me feel so much more stable in my life. And it just, it makes, it gives you so much, like even like the year, like if you're an atheist, it's like, it's too easy to go through your year and it's just like, oh, and now it's winter and it's Christmas, buy presents for people. And now it's, oh, now it's summer, I'm going on holiday. And you don't have all these things to mark the year and festivals and things to celebrate, which I think is really important in the human experience. What, what do you think about that? I do agree with you pretty much one-to-one here. And as you were on a very sunny day, and perhaps I'm sounding a bit too hippy-dippy here, but... Mm-hmm. When I think, if you're one of those people who's a heathen, but not like a fully, I believe in these gods as like actual beings per se, I just believe them as archetypes. One could argue that by looking outside in your window, especially on a good sunny day, you are seeing your gods in person. The trees, Mm. the clouds, the sky, which is the skull of Emir, if you believe it. Yeah. Thunder, the lightning, the sun, the moon, the ocean itself. These, in theory, are our gods. Have you always been quite close to nature or is that something you've had to work on a bit um i would say work on a bit i i will say that i do like nature i do enjoy it but i mm-hmm. think as a person who lives in a city yeah i would say i have to naturally work on it like i have to go to places there is a place near where i live which is uh, a national park and when i do go i do like it because even though it doesn't have super massive amounts of wildlife besides insects cows and ha- horses Mm-hmm. It's quite massive. It's quite open. And if I went there by myself right now, I could probably just 
do a full-on hike, just wander across. Yeah, and I would that's love awesome. it. I, I hear you with the, on the city thing. I'm the same. I grew up uh, in a city pretty much, so I've had to work on it. Um, mm. But again, like I said, I'm backtracking again to that, that point of being more open and receptive to things. Being that way has helped me massively. And it's helped mm. me look at things in a new light. Um, yeah, so um, see regarding like, um, uh, we were talking about the gods. Who, who have you worked with previously, if you don't mind sharing? Um, the latest one I have tried invoking was Eostra or Ustara. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to force my opinions on others, but I'm just going to say how I feel. I, oh, believe, yeah, I believe Eostra to be the same as Freya. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I haven't done anything which appeals to the typical Norse side, if you will, of Freya and how many people see her. Because oh. the last time I invoked her, I basically just asked her, could you please try and prolong the uh, weather to be not pouring down with rain so I can have <laughs> this little gathering of people? Not like a gathering is in a religious one. I mean, like a little get together, have dinner outside of my garden. And even though it did trinkle a little bit, and perhaps I'm taking a minor thing in running with a mile mm-hmm. is that it didn't actually whatsoever rain at all. And I thought, mm-hmm. Oh wow. And the, the clouds were like, they were over us and they were black and gray and they looked like they were about to burst like a balloon, but they didn't. They did, like I said, trinkle a little bit, but that was, it, it was literally just like snow, like the odd snow, except well, not frozen, of course. Yeah. No, I hear you. That's, that's cool. I had, um, I made an offering to Ostara about a month or so ago and then I did one for Freya and then the next day <laughs> it was quite uh, normally I don't I, I've been trying to look more for signs I'm, I'm someone again who is working on that I'm very apprehensive about these things so I'm being more open again looking for signs and stuff I'm mm. not obsessing over them but being more receptive and so I made this offering to Freya and basically asked you know look look after my family look out for us just now um, through the coming month and the next day, I ends up uh, I won like fifty quid or something on the lottery, and then I uh, I got a job offer. So I was like, "Oh, things Ooh. are finally coming up, Millhouse." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, if I may continue, I yeah, go ahead. I have in the past invoked and prayed to, and I think most people would probably agree with this, and some may disagree with this, but I've actually tried praying to Hell, daughter of Loki and Angerbotha. Um, I pretty much, every time I do, it's more of a tribute of, I respect you, please look after me if I die, um, and could I please have some luck on the side, and here's like my offering of a few alcoholic beverages, and maybe some grapes. <laughs> Lovely. Um, I have actually got quite a good pull, at least in my mind. I haven't done much lately in actual action, but in my heart and mind, I really, really do appreciate uh, Njord, or if I'm pronouncing the Anglo-Saxon version right, Njord. Okay, just tell us um, about that. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's kind of awkward, really, because if you actually look at the, his personal history, if you believe it, is that he's kind of had two children with his sister, and that's a bit gross. But, <laughs> but that's he is said to be, yeah, sadly. Um, <laughs> But he's said to be the richest of the gods, or one of the riches, which is why, in the past, one could be described as being as affluent as Njord when they were rich. And, again, maybe I'm being a bit of a gold digger here, but I thought, okay, wealth. 
Uh, he's also a sea god. People don't say he's a god of the sea, but I think he is. He's just not what other people think he is. He's more yeah. of a kindly one. Um, he you does. Live by the... Yeah, Sorry, I do live by the sea. Sorry, yeah. You live by the sea, so it's kind of that. That's quite apt, you know. Mm. I don't go on the sea very much. I would love to, but I don't. But I still feel that oh, he's the sea king, if you will, to my city. And I have like this lovely river just going into my city and I can walk by it and I just kind of imagine it really. It's really nice. It goes out into the English Channel um, and it's just pleasant, really. And he's also yeah. a god of the wind, per se. Well, to be fair, when it comes to the gods, they're not really described as god of anything, but he does seem mm. to have this ability over wind and therefore how to control storms. Um, he, it is said, actually, in the prose editor, if you do take the prose editor into consideration, even with a grain of salt, that he can influence fire, although that can be because of his wind abilities. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought, OK, that's cool. He, he definitely ticks off my list. And he's also the father of um, Frey, or an Anglo-Saxon, Ingui, and Freya, or Eostra. And I thought, oh, these three, this trinity, if you will, really do get my goat, if you will. Mm. Oh yeah, hundred percent, man. That that that's really interesting. Um, it's he's not mm. someone that I've actually done any offerings to yet. Um, I'm kind of working my way very slowly through a list, if that makes sense. Um, mm. not rushing it whatsoever because I think sometimes when I do rush it, like I did at the start, I don't feel very much. I'm not feeling anything happening. I need to just wait for the right moment and then do it, and then I feel way more connected i don't know how you feel like do you do a lot of offerings or do you kind of space them out more i space them out more um not necessarily yeah. because i want to it just kind of happens yeah, yeah. and sometimes okay. i'm thinking oh should i do an offering today but i'm like okay but what would i ask for and why would i need it yeah and i'm thinking mm, maybe not then i'll put it off for now do you, but then there are time oh sorry mm -hmm. you go first no, no okay do you ask for vague kind of things like more open things or do you are you very concise and sorry precise with what you ask for i do try and be precise although there are times when i naturally be vague not because i want to but just kind of comes out and i'm like oh bugger afterwards but yeah. um most of the time since i'm a city dweller who doesn't really have to work a farm or go on the boats um i do normally ask for things like luck protection uh, a little bit of wealth if that does happen and sure. Sometimes just the slight altercation of altercation, I mean alteration of the weather to be in my favour. But other than that, not really anything else. You do archery, don't you? Yes, actually, I do. Quite. Fun. Yeah. How long? How long have you been doing that for? I have been doing that for over a year now. I would say a year and a quarter. And you enjoying it? Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm enjoying it. I wish to one day work my way up to a, a longbow. Um, <laughs> I love history, so the longbow is like my absolute go-to weapon. Oh, yeah. So nice. It has this majesty to it, and I just love it. Um, yeah, currently, currently, I'm on something called a recurve bow, and mm -hmm. lately, I have been trying to use a sight, but my sight bit, the bit that actually has the dot, kind of broke slightly, so I can't actually use it. So I, the last time I went to do archery, I had to do it with my eye, and I did fairly well. I did fairly well, so I thought, ooh, this is getting interesting. Yeah, that that is cool, man. It's always something I've wanted to try. I hope to try it once... Um we get through this uh, dreaded COVID-19. <laughs> mm. um, it's a, it's a re really great, great place, apparently not far from me. So I'm looking forward to trying it. 
regarding archery, uh, can you think of any gods in particular who are associated <laughs> with that kind of stuff? Two easy gods. One is Ullr, son of Sif, stepson of Thor, and Skathi, who is, or was, depending on timeline, uh, is the wife of Njord, or mm-hmm. was the wife of Njord. And both seem to be kind of like a mirror image of each other in terms of what they're associated with. Um, Ullr is like an archery and wintry kind of guy, um, and so is Skathi. Uh, it's a shame, though, really, because we don't really know much about Ullr besides the fact that he is son of Sif, stepson of Thor. Um, and there was this very loose uh, surviving record, if you will, where apparently he used a shield as like a boat. It's okay. It's bizarre, but I haven't read up on that. I should really research that. But Skathi, we know a bit more about her story and sadly how her father died. Um, mm-hmm. Although he was a little bit greedy with those golden apples, if you know the tale. <laughs> yes, I know the one. I know the one. That, that was a great one. Um, yeah. You ever offered to them? No, actually, no. I, I know it sounds bizarre, but as a person who does archery, I haven't. And to be honest, much like what I said before, I don't really see a need to because the archery I'm doing is more like practice and exercise, not like, okay, let me go hunt a deer. <laughs> yeah, life, it's not life and death. It's um, no. for, you know, um, it's for as a hobby and, and a good one at that, definitely, man. Um, if, I, mm-hmm. if I had to stereotype these two gods, I would say they're more of a gods for battle or survival. Yeah, I definitely. hear you. 100%. Um, who would you, if you were going to war, who would you invoke? Oh, um, one would say probably all the gods, but I think that would be a bit cheap. If I had to go for specific specifics, I would have yeah. to go for Tyr, mm-hmm. uh, Frey, and probably Thor as well. Not, not, uh, Odin? <laughs> I actually... You know that you say that I probably would really. I've got like this whole basket, if you will, of gods, and I could just pick them out if I wish. If yeah. obviously I'm not, I'm not their master. I don't control what they do, but I would, I would probably put Thor, Frey, Tyr, Odin, maybe even. Um, and this might catch people off guard, but Jorf or Earth, the mother of Thor, um, mm-hmm. because she seems to be mighty and is described loosely as a mighty goddess. Which is kind of understandable when you're the personification of the earth. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, that's kind of a natural association, especially since since she's the earth goddess, she's associated with nature and thereby anything that could be harvested in a war campaign. Yeah, yeah, 100%. That's um, interesting, man. Have you ever offered to um, Tyr or Odin? Actually, I have tried offering to Tyr. I'm trying to remember now. I haven't done to Odin yet, no, but Tyr. I think there was this one time where I gave him... Ah, yes, it was on the Ostara holiday. Well, I'm not sure if it's actually a formal holiday, but it's the time where spring officially starts by the um, actual placement of the solar system. Okay. It was mm-hmm. basically this little thing where I got a bonfire and I invoked uh, Eostra, Tyr... Um, Vithar and I'm trying to remember Hell mm-hmm. yeah I think it was those lot and I basically was kind of celebrating and I gave a pouring of cider I believe yeah like cider to each and I tossed it into the bonfire and I was basically mm-hmm. saying like have this please and be well and have faith in me and that's, that's awesome, kind man. of the only real offering I've done to Tyr I do it's much like 
um, Scathi and Ullr, like most of the gods. It's not that I can't do it. It's not that I don't want to. It's because I don't feel like I have a good reason to. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great point, man. Um, I think it's mm. too easy to almost become addicted to making offerings to all these gods, and then it's better to really think about it, give it meaning, mm. and then think, do I really need this? Because again, um, it's not as if you're going off to battle. You know what I mean? Um, for me, I haven't actually invoked tier yet, but I, I'm going to soon. Um, and that's to do more with the whole justice and legal kind of aspect of things. Oh, okay. If that makes sense, as opposed to war. Um, I was kind of reading up on that a bit. Um, it's something I've thought of a lot, but then I just haven't done it. But I'm kind mm. of waiting until it feels right for me, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, so you, you mentioned some of the stuff you offer there. Um, you said cider, grapes. Is there anything else you've offered before? To be honest, um, due to my situation of life, which isn't a bad one, by the way, I'm just going to say that, um, I've kind of been limited to libations which most of the time is alcohol and rarely anything like juice and or fruit which can't be seen as massive in meal so grapes and i think oh i'm trying to remember now i think i did do a apple slice like a very small apple slice but the rest was grapes grapes seem to be my go-to fruit <laughs> yeah I, I tend to do uh, strawberries because I, I love strawberries <laughs> they look great oh that's a good I idea did. perhaps and i should I do that yeah they're nice and i tend to do um maybe some flowers um and uh something something alcohol based like mead or mm. port or wine so we're funny very similar you should, um, sorry to intrude here but funny mm. i should mention flowers i haven't actually given flowers but there was this one moment where i did pick some uh, daffodils near where i live because surprisingly the symbol of wales is near where i live um and i was so tempted to give it as an offering but i just couldn't because they just look so nice so i left them in a potted plant thing all right. Okay. Yeah. I think I don't know what it is. I, I tend to get some flowers, leave them in a vase, and then I'll pick a few of them and place them on the altar as kind of like a side offering, if you know what I mean. It's not the main mm. thing, but more kind of a for, decoration. Yes. I was about to just about to say, yeah, deco like a decoration. And I just feel like it adds to it a bit. And actually, it's mm. a good way. I, I got my, my kids, they ask loads of questions, you see. Uh, so I, they, I said, Do you want to do an offering with me or do an offering to uh, Frey? And they said, yeah, they'd like to. Um, so I gave them a flower each to hold on to. I mean, I told them to during my offering. They went and placed it on the altar. They really enjoyed it. Um, Good. Getting yeah, the family involved. Yeah, exactly. And it's nothing too complicated for them that would um, cause them to be confused or anything like that. And it was them that they I could tell they wanted to do it, if that makes sense. As opposed mm. to me saying, right, you two come through, we're doing this. Um, they, kept, they kept asking me, oh, when are we going to do this? When are we going to do this? I was like, okay, we'll do it, we'll do it, we'll do it. Um, time so to pray. Was, yeah, exactly, time to pray. Get on your knees, kids, we're praying. Um, yeah, so uh, what, what, what um, do, you, do you have a lot of um, heathen um, or mythology books? And if so, regardless of whether you do have a lot or not, what are your kind of go-to ones? Um, I don't think I have two much no not really i have the poetic editor from jackson crawford uh totally not sponsored and <laughs> the prose editor pub uh, penguin classics uh edition and i do have the hammer of the gods which we mentioned that mm. is a good book especially if you're looking for reconstructed names of the gods and various things but there i will admit for anyone who may be interested in getting that it does have a few spelling or grammatical errors so yeah. bear with it in that regard yeah uh, 
I do have a saga, but it's not a really heavily mythological one. It's more of a life saga. It's a historical one based in Iceland. It's called the Saga of the People of Laxadal and Bolly Bollison's Tale. It was quite hard to read sometimes, not necessarily because of the words, but more because of the actual forcing myself to do it. But I did get through it and I did enjoy it. Mm. Uh, it was mainly like the words and place names since it's all Icelandic and Icelandic being close to Old Norse. You can't really pronounce it right. So you're going to have to go. Yeah. Bleh, 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 bleh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I find, I find myself sometimes um, like see the Hammer of the Gods book again. I'm not even a third of the way through, but I'm mm. kind of at the part where he's talking about like honor and all that kind of stuff. Um, Ooh, I think and, I know exactly where you are. Yeah. And it's really good. It's just that he, 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 he the author is being very, um, he's trying to show you this is the Frisian way they'd say it, or this is the, I think Frisian's right, I'm sorry, I'm not that, I'm not sure, and uh, this is the Old Norse way, this is the Anglo-Saxon way, and sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many, <laughs> there's so many different yeah. terms here, and I'm trying to internalise it, so some, I think some of the books that we read um, are more beginner-friendly, and others mm. are more, um, almost like academic-y, and they probably require note-taking or going back and highlighting certain parts. I haven't done highlighting yet. Maybe I should do that. Um, especially since when I've reread my poetic edda yesterday, mm. because I was so excited to do this, to try and regain some knowledge before you question me. Uh, <laughs> I did find a few things which I thought, oh, wait, is that actually the case? I didn't think about that. Mm. Um, case in point, uh, there was actually one time where I was reading the Havamal, the very words of Woden, if you believe in him. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this one section where he says, I learned spells from Bessler's um, father, son of something. And I thought, mm-hmm. okay, so son of a guy, but the father of his mother. So he learned spells from his granddad. And I thought, oh, okay. Like, I know that doesn't, that's, not, that's not revolutionary, but that's something that you can pick up and learn and therefore kind of understand the life of Odin a bit mm. more. Yeah, it's like um, attention. It's attention to detail thing in there. I mean, with me, um, when I first read the poetic edda, um, I was blown away because I'm a big Lord of the Rings guy, and you have <laughs> to excuse my uh, ignorance on this part. Even though I was a big Lord of the Rings guy, I didn't really realize that how much he was influenced by a Tolkien that is by things like, uh, you know, Anglo-Saxon and. Um, mm. Norse heathenry and, and mythology so I started reading it I was like wait a minute these are all the dwarves from the Hobbit and <laughs> that's the, he talks about the, Mark, the Markwood and then all these other places and I was like oh my I get it and I think that's one of the reasons just, just we're going off on a weird, weird tangent here right but I sometimes think that's one of the reasons why Lord of the Rings resonated with so many people is that it isn't just a fantasy it's like a it's like a mythology if that makes sense yeah it's almost like a it's an it's an alternative mm. Germanic mythology. Yeah, and it just it feels so it feels so alive, it's like living. Oh yeah, and that, that I think that's why I mean because think how long ago that was written, uh, Lord of the Rings, right? And then think about how many other amazing and really great fantasy books and and all that have come out, and they're good, definitely. But you wouldn't mm. put something like I'll just even though Harry Potter is great and stuff, but you wouldn't put Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings to have that same meaning do you know what i mean because mm. one is a really entertaining fantasy which which i enjoyed read all the books um and the other is like a as you said an alternative germanic mythology yeah i would yeah. agree with you on that i haven't yeah. books so sorry if somebody wants to want to ugh, can't even talk now 
wants to hang me, so please don't do that. Um, but I have watched the movies, all the movies, and I thought, oh, this is particularly cool. I do notice that the dwarves have runes as their writing system, and I thought, okay, groovy, that, very yeah. groovy. That's so cool. I also <laughs> love... Um, there's, they'll, they'll say one more thing about Lord of the Rings, then we'll move on from it. Um, yeah. There's a part where uh, I think it's Theoden um, does this big long speech, like, where is the horse and the rider? Mm. And then I was speaking to Sam, this is months and months ago when I first joined the Discord, and he showed me that that is an actual, actually an Anglo-Saxon poem. Oh. Uh, I think I it's called, I can't remember what it's called. Is it called the, might be called The Wanderer, but I'm not sure. Um, and I, so I read the original Anglo-Saxon poem, and it's it's this beautiful thing. I'm, I'll send it to you after this conversation, by the way. Um, do. It's quite it's a really long, it's quite long for a poem, um, but there's a there's a stanza in it or a paragraph. I'm not sure what you call it, and it's basically an exact, almost exact copy. So Tolkien basically just took that, maybe changed a few words, and made that Theoden's like main speech. And when you see it in the film, when he's like, "Where is the horse and the rider? Where is the horn that was blown?" I think he says, um, it's really this epic moment. And then when you realize it comes from that period in history it just gives it so much more you know impact and authenticness mm. but, and speaking yeah. of anglo-saxon poems i'm going to segue this even though i probably won't be able to talk about it too much into beowulf mm. yeah. never read it so, but i really want to same here really want to i have gone through youtube videos which basically go through the story um but i want to get an actual written copy and read yeah. it myself Do and you feel if you that... don't know Oh, sorry. Just to, can I quickly just interject, and I'll, I'll I'll let you go ahead with the Beowulf uh, thing. Just just to ask, I want to get your opinion on the Beowulf. D one of the reasons I've not bought a copy is there's so many different translations, and I'm always like, which one should I get? Do you ever mm. feel that way? Same. Yeah, I agree. Especially when it comes to things like the Poetic Edda, because you're thinking, okay, which one's accurate, but I can also understand it easily without having to question myself. Yeah. Yeah. So go go ahead with uh, what you were going to say about Beowulf. Sorry. Yeah, sorry about that. So um, if you don't know what Beowulf is or who Beowulf is for anyone listening at home, Beowulf is this legendary man who was basically written down in an Anglo-Saxon poem. His exploits were written down in an Anglo-Saxon poem, although he isn't actually Anglo-Saxon because he comes from Sweden and he's part of what I think the group is called the Geats. And okay. his story takes up up there. And I think it also takes place in Denmark a little bit. And some main points is that he fights a troll, but I'm tempted to say Jutten at the same time, but I think it's a troll. Let's go for troll. And that troll is named Grendel. He has a fight with that. Um, he has a fight with the mother of Grendel. And there is, there's a few moments where you're thinking, yeah, even if this man was a legendary man, there's no way a normal man could do that. There's this one moment where he sinks to the bottom of a lake to fight Grendel's mum, but mm -hmm. he has like a day's journey trying to get to it. And it's like, no one can hold their breath for that long. No one. <laughs> still, still, what a badass. And, you know, the since we were on the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, right? You know Smaug? Yeah. Well, the main inspiration behind that was the Beowulf dragon fight, because he also allegedly fought a dragon as well. Oh, that is awesome. I didn't know that. See, there's so much to learn. There's all those little, little <laughs> bits of trivia that relate back to Lord of the Rings. I love it. I love it. But yeah, he's a he was a great man. Um, as somebody who believes in legends, I'm going to talk about it as if he was real. So he yeah, was a great man. So you, when I've spoken to you before, you are one of the few people, which is fine, by the way, um, who when you speak about a lot of these legends that you have pretty much said, 
I accept these to be real. Is that a fair mm. assessment? That's pretty much it. Yeah, the simple way of putting it. Why? Why? Why do you believe they're real? Well, it's going to sound daft, but to me, a legend is kind of history that hasn't been written down properly and has to go off by mouth. Myth is slightly different. Uh, I, don't, I won't go into that too much because that'd be way too hard for me. But legend, it's it's just kind of I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like you try and do something and somebody wants to take a photo, but you're gone before they do it. But they'll happily tell the moment where you did something funny or did something awesome or something stupid. Mm -hmm. Then if somebody wants to keep on telling that, they'll keep on telling it and telling it and tell it until your reputation is amongst the greats, if you will. Everybody knows it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. in some cases in our faith, in our mythology, if you will, you could argue that it's actually entering more into the realms of legend than myth, uh, especially when it comes to Sigurth and St. George, which we mentioned quite a while ago. Yeah. I would argue those are legends, even though some would say that those are myths. Um, and I, it's just, let's go for King Arthur, right? We're, we're British. And I was so just King about Arthur to talk about of, that. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah go ahead. So, I do believe that King Arthur in some form did exist and probably a good few things that go along with his tale. Like there's, he was bound to exist. Definitely. Yeah, it just depends whether he was a singular man, many men under a similar name or were confused into one man, or perhaps, I don't know, like some random guy who yeah. got elevated I mean, as the king. I'm not too knowledgeable on the King Arthur thing, but from what little I do know, I know that at some point he was kind of like almost um, had a, image change and it was very christianized and it was all about the holy grail and all that kind of stuff as well yes there's there's like, oh, mm -hmm, go ahead sorry there's kind of um well i'm not going to say two it's not two books per se but there's kind of two variations of king arthur there's what i like to call the actual anglo-saxon kind of times where he was closer to the time they actually wrote it down and you mm -hmm. could say that this is the truest form of king arthur then there's the um chrétien de Troyes, if i'm saying that correctly Arthurian okay. stuff, which I actually have a copy of. I haven't read it, but I do have a copy of. And I would argue that those are legends that may be very highly fictionalized. I know mm -hmm. as like a legends to most people, they would say, oh yeah, but legends are fictional. But to me, let's just go off with what I'm going for. Yeah, um, I think your outlook on it is very refreshing. Um, I think a lot of people are very closed off to these things and they're too easy to say, oh, that's impossible. It's just a, it's well, just I, a, a legend. I try to be I do try to be reasonable and not go willy-nilly and like, oh, yeah, every single thing is true, everything, blah, 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 blah. I do look at it with a certain sense of responsibility, if you will. Mm -hmm. Is that even the right word? But I do believe in legends. I do. <laughs> now I sound like Peter mm -hmm. Pan. I do believe in fairies. I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, I, hear you. I hear you. I think that's a good thing to be. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, I think the thing about... Um, I don't, I don't know. I think the reason why these stories are, why Christian church, etc., takes these stories and changes them is more of a propaganda thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I think King Arthur in the original, like the oldest form, he was actually mentioned in a Welsh poem, like an ancient Welsh poem, and he isn't really talked about at all. They basically talk about somebody else, and they say, blah, 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 he was a great man, but he was no Arthur. So Arthur back then was known as, but we don't really know much about that. They just said he was no Arthur. So Arthur back then was a standard. There was a standard mm -hmm. to that Arthur name. And, oh yeah, speaking of Arthur's name, 
the pen dragon bit, right? Apparently that means dragon head. And the story behind oh. that is because his father, Uther Pendragon, which is actually not his original name, he was a Roman, a Romano-British guy, looked up into the sky, the night sky, and he saw a comet, which kind of looked a bit like a dragon. And mm-hmm. it kind of looked like a dragon's head. And he said, oh, I'm Pendragon now. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. I never knew yeah. that. That's amazing. There's I probably other variations, but that's the one I know. Well, what are your thoughts on like uh, other pantheons? Um, similar to the legend thing, is that I do believe they exist. Um, I don't want to knock Abrahamic people, which if you don't know what that means, that pretty much sums up Islam, Christianity, and Judaism, but mainly Christianity, sorry, uh, is that I don't think that it's really worthy to say, oh, my gods or God, depending on religion, are the only ones in existence. Because, well, okay, this is going to sound very mortal of me, but me and you, right, we're both people, right? You're Scottish and I'm English. I wouldn't go up to your country and say your country and people don't exist because it's yeah. not English. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a very mortal thing to say, but the gods do have, they, well, they are living beings if you believe in them. So why would there be only one set? I hear you. I hear you. Um, I'm, I'm, I have a kind of view where and I'm, I've not finalized my view on this, but I've been toying with the idea that, you know, I'm going to, I mean, I'll use Christians specifically just since we're in Western Europe. Um, mm that who am I to say that their God doesn't exist? Mm. It's just that I don't worship them. Yeah, precisely. That's it. That's how I feel. That's how I kind of feel. I will admit, though, um, there are some brilliant gods out there. Yes, most of the gods in various pantheons have done at least a few bad things, like we all have at some Mm. point. Uh, But they all have their own stories, their own tales. Uh, Some are similar to some of our gods, some are not. It's really just entertaining, really. Yeah, yeah, it's, there's so many fantastic stories, and it's it's quite interesting how they mirror each other somewhat. Some of them are quite unique, and then other ones they're almost like mirror images mm. from culture to culture. Again, this isn't something I know too much about, so I won't really delve into this. But um, if Sam was here, I'm sure he'd be hitting a buzzer which says Proto Indo European. <laughs> yeah, I was going to mention that as well. Yeah, Proto Indo European. Um, yeah. I. I won't try and go too much into it, but essentially, if you don't know what Proto-Indo-European is, it's basically the ancestors, both linguistically, I guess culturally, and ethnically, to pretty much all Europeans, Indians, and Iranians, pretty much. Uh, They spread across the entire place from the Ponto-Caspio steppe, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, Mm -hmm. and they had a Proto-Indo-European pantheon, which I do believe exists as well in its own way, even though it kind of evolved into all these other pantheons that we know of. Uh Oh, 100%. And, and I think some there are some commonalities between them because they all come from technically one religion. Mm. Um, but there's obviously there's similarities. I mean, there's similarities, there's differences, sorry. It's amazing how you even see similar. I mean, again, not something I know too much on. I plan to learn more about Native American and South American religions at some point because I find them... Mm so fascinating because they're on the other side of the world this massive land uh mass and tons of water between us and them and we even see similarities you know in their myths and our myths we have a trickster god they've got a trickster god you know they have a war god yeah. we've got a war god it, 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 to me that kind of stuff's fascinating and it's an area that I, I really hope to delve into at some point um just wondering like how do you feel about there's a lot of talk when we watch videos on YouTube with people in the community and they talk about things like patron <laughs> and matron goddesses and gods 
Um, what are your thoughts towards it? And do you have one? I, I'm going to say straight up, I don't have one yet. At least I don't think so. I think the closest candidate, can, candidate sorry, would be Njord. Uh, but to be fair, probably not going to happen. Uh, but now going back to the other thing you asked, I think it's actually a good thing to have a patron on Matron. I'm not saying that you have to. Please don't go out there and hunt one down just because you have to. There's no rule saying you have to. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think it's good if you genuinely believe that you have this uh, relationship between deity and mortal where you kind mm-hmm. of bounce off each other and aid one another. And I think that's a very nice thing to have, really. Uh, yeah. What else was I going to say? And technically, in the ancient cults, not cults is what you may think of nowadays, but I mean ancient polytheistic cults back then they technically were patron and matrons they always go for a singular god and they together worship them so mm-hmm. if you just reduce that to a smaller size that's pretty much what you're going for you're going for a singular individual cult between you and this other deity whether it be a man or woman mm. you mentioned something earlier about like not making an offering unless you really require that thing for example um regarding archery like you're not going to war and you're not hunting so you've not felt the need to call upon um god's favor so for me it's kind of like i think regarding matron um and patron gods it probably makes more sense for people like for example you live by the sea and if you were a fisherman for example you'd be more likely to be like yeah Njord's my yeah my patron definitely 100 I, I i'd spend a lot of time doing that or if you were a soldier you'd be like Odin or Tyr or something along the line. Or if you were a farmer, it'd be like Frey or Thor. And um, I think maybe maybe there's a thing there where it kind of relates to more to people, what they do in their personal lives as well. Does If that makes sense, like what they do in yeah. their careers. I'm going to build up on that. Anyone who's listening, uh, please don't take this personally. But I will suggest go for gods, not all the time, but go for gods which are more akin to your lifestyle. I'm not saying you have to, but I think it would naturally be more wise to do so because it would make more logical sense and you'll probably reap off some benefits, if you will. Mm. I would agree with that, man. I would, I'd probably share that sentiment. What do you think about, yeah. um, you know, uh, I think the term is Roker. Roker? I don't know if I'm pronouncing oh, that right. Roker through. Roker through, yeah. I think, if I remember correctly, although there's probably some who may argue otherwise, it's the kind of focused worship on the Jotnar or the giants in our pantheon and I don't mind it really because one I believe in freedom of religion so whatever you want to do do it as long as it doesn't affect me spiritually or physically yeah but um even though it could be just divine propaganda which we've just been told from the gods down to mortals is Mm -hmm. that it seems that a great portion of the Jotnar seem to even not care or despise humanity so if you are people who followed the rocketry path if you will if you will um i guess even though i am i'm not a veteran i suggest be careful yeah I, i'm more open to making an offering because hell would be part of that wouldn't she yeah yeah, yeah because be more, she's I, um it's weird i'd be more open to like giving her an offering than i would uh jormungander or something like that you know yeah i don't Just want be... to knock anybody who no does... no i'm not I, again, I'm, this is just this isn't me uh, knocking anyone else. Go ahead. I'm I'm very much a person who is I stay in my lane, and they stay mm. in theirs. And I'm I, happy for people to do whatever they want. 
Um, so I'm not making comments about other people specifically. I'm just talking about more like your opinion on why you don't do that, if that makes sense, or mm. do do that. Do you know what I mean? So what I was going to say is that for anyone who does worship Yorubanganda or Fenrir specifically, uh, again, sorry if I'm being really rude. I would hate to be rude. But I may, I'm just going to ask you simply, and you don't have to say aloud, but why? I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean that rude, but just why? Ask yourself yeah. why. Because it, even though it could be, like I said before, divine propaganda that these people, or should I say beings, are not particularly nice, they are described by some gods, mainly Odin, although it would probably make sense when Fenrir is involved, that they are not very nice and they don't serve humanity's best interest. Mm-hmm. So why would you offer and pray to that? Now, I do actually know a guy who, from what I can remember, he doesn't seem to actively pray and offer to Fenrir a lot, but he does seem to hold him in respect. And to be honest, I do as well, because he is a powerful wolf and could probably snap me with just one paw easily. <laughs> um, but it's I can understand. If you know the story of Fenrir and how he got chained up, yes, you can feel sympathy for the guy. Mm-hmm. But... Well, we it's see just, we see a lot of Fenrir mm. um, kind of symbols. I don't know if that's an old thing. I'm talking about more modern. Like, he's a very powerful symbol. Do you know what I mean? He's yeah, a, I, he's an tra- attractive, powerful symbol. Like you're, I feel the I feel the power there. It's like incredible power. Yeah, uh, I I think it is a modern thing, much like Loki and how he's kind of got oh, worshippers nowadays. Oh, isn't Loki isn't Loki considered uh, Rokatra as well, or is that is he? See, this is the thing: is he part of that, or is he? Is I he believe, if I recall his ancestry, his alleged ancestry, he is the son of Forbauti, a Jutun, and a goddess or divine being who is a part of the. E- Sorry, I used the Anglo-Saxon term, and mm-hmm. I think her name is. Well, she has an alternative name of Nal. Oh, Lorve, that's it. Which is why Loki when he's addressed by some people or some gods, he's not known as Loki for Baltasun. He's known as mm-hmm. Loki Lorvason. Okay, okay. And, and he also has two brothers as well, B-List and Herblindy. Herblindy, yeah, Herblindy and B-List. <laughs> you've got like an incredible, you know what? You've got this amazing knowledge of like family trees. Within, well, I try my best. I do ring. try my best. Oh, I don't excellent. remember names, but I do remember beings, if you will. Yeah, I'm, so, all, I'm always very impressed. Yeah. <laughs> so when I Loki. was talking about... Oh, yeah, Loki. So uh, oh, where do I go for him? So what's, he's your, the... what's your thoughts on Loki? I, I think... I'll tell you where I stand first, and then I'd love to hear your opinions on Loki. Yeah, go ahead. I have been thinking of including Loki in future offerings just after reading Dr. Matthias Nordvig's book, where he says he always leaves an offering for Loki so that he doesn't interfere uh, or tamper with another offering that he's, he's left for a god or something along those lines. I thought that was quite interesting. Oh, so more and of an also, appeasement thing. Say that again? More of an appeasement thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. Not like saying, Loki, can I have this? More like leaving him something as well so that he does... Like, exactly appeasing. He's, he, it kind of seems what he's doing. Now... It's too easy to see Loki as, from the Christian perspective, as the devil when he's not, <laughs> you know, I mean, he's not the devil. It's not as simple as that. He is an antagonist within the story, obviously, and it helps drive the story. But he's also, through his, and I, I don't want to rehash too much about what I talked about Zach, but he, he's almost, his tricks and trickery and mischievousness does lead to very good outcomes sometimes. Mm. 
and that's right. to be applauded, you know. I haven't met the man in person, but I would <laughs> say he is definitely not evil, or at least not yet. Depends on yeah. your perception of mythic time. But I think he just he's one of those guys that just naturally has a behavior pattern where he wants to have a bit of fun and sometimes he pushes it too far and sometimes he does do things for with a little bit of malicious intent, but mostly, again, just for fun. And like you said, he has most of his trickery have done something in the end when everything is done and dusted better for the gods and to some extent mortals. Mm. Sometimes I feel like Odin uh, has a bit of Loki in him, you know? I, I think this is actually a good reason why both of them are blood brothers. Because if you think about it, there's not really much that there's not really much difference between them besides that Odin goes out and does war and really likes learning things. Where mm -hmm. Loki just kind of does what he does, but minus those two things. Mm. Mm. Loki's yeah. had many kids himself. Like you you think Walden is the all father? Like Loki, oh my word. Mm. Father up here. He's got three kids with Angrabotha that we all know of. Then with Sikian, his actual married wife, uh, he's had Nori and Navi. And then there was this one time where, allegedly in Lokasena, uh, Orthan, I believe, or some other god said to him, yeah, but you went down to Earth as a cow and then as a human female and bore children and troll people. And I thought, oh, okay, <laughs> he's had quite a lot of kids. Um, yeah. So <laughs> who's the real old father? <laughs> yeah, 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 I hear you. It's like um, with, with Loki, um, I suppose in a way... Did they not, um, when they kind of punish him, did they not kill one of his sons? They did, actually. They yeah, have and, and or will kill one of his sons. I believe it's going to be, let's see, Nori and Nari, if I'm pronouncing that right. Mm -hmm. I think it's mm -hmm. Nari. They're gonna, apparently, I think if I remember, they kill one and they turn the other one into a wolf. And they use the intestines and organs of the one they killed to tie him up in chains if he will organic bloody chains to a do you, great do you think that triggers do you think that triggers loki on the path of right i'm going to escape and i'm going to kill everyone and trigger and yeah. start, you know <laughs> so in a way like if you look back at like vengeance and how like our ancestors viewed vengeance it's not like how we do it now like back then hmm. if you killed my son i'm perfectly within my right to avenge him by killing you or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. And it's like that that is like um that kind of vigilantism, which is now illegal, obviously, um, and our laws are different and society's different. But if we look at it from the lens of our ancestors, maybe even though I do see at that point in in, in, in the uh, Edda that Loki has gone full antagonist. Mm. Um, and and, and, and I'm, I'm not with him at that point or anything, but I do understand it, if that is the reason or one of the reasons why he turns on them completely. Well, even though at that point in time or when that time comes, even if he is kind of the antagonist or becoming what we, or should I say the Christians, deem a Satanist or villain, you've mm. got to give him some slack. Like, okay, I don't know him personally. I'm not sure what his relationships are like, but one of his sons would transform into a wolf and gone to roam whatever they're going to go to. And the other was murdered so he can be tied up with his own organs. That would yeah. hurt any parent's eyes. That would, oh, that, the anger, the bloodshed, oh. Mm. And think about it. His wife probably isn't pleased with him whatsoever, but she has to basically be there trying to save him from getting poisoned in the eyes, constantly getting in agony. So I think, yeah, it makes yeah. sense why he would end up thinking, okay, I'm going to kill every single one of you. Yeah. Yeah, I do have I do have somewhat sympathy in that regard. Um, mm. 
I've got a few more things I was kind of just thinking about as you've been talking. Like, what would you say for you is like one of your favorite gods or goddesses or favorite uh, uh, players in the tales who gets overlooked often or isn't mentioned much? Overlooked? Now that I can do. I would say there's quite a few. I'm going to name all the ones I can think of. There's Kavasir, which is a, yeah. or should I say, he is a Vanir god. And there's kind of two versions as to how he was created, if you will, or how he came to be. One is that he's just a member of the Vanir who got sent as a hostage to the Isa or Aesir, sorry, Anglo-Saxon. Um, <laughs> and there's the other version where he was made by all the spit of the gods put into a vat or a bowl and therefore was created with magic. And one could argue that technically makes him the child of every single god in that occasion. But let's not get into that. He's mm. quite wise. So he's kind of a wisdom god, which I think if people are looking for wisdom but not war, then sorry if Ulthin hears this. I don't want to detract worshippers from him, but if you're looking for wisdom and only wisdom, I'd say Kavasir is a good choice as well. Like, mm. think about it. His blood was once used to make mead that gave people poetry skills. So he's definitely got yeah. something in him. I suppose that his uh, blood is one of the reasons why it's like mead is looked at as such a godly or divine drink you know mm. and to be fair you could argue that braggy the actual god of art and probably the best poetry god out there is kind of the reason why he is like that is because of braggy because Orthon drank some of the mead along with gunloth braggy's mother who Orthon did sadly take advantage of so he can get away and mm -hmm. without mead in his system i guess probably wouldn't have given braggy that you know that poetry skill that innate godly poetry skill Mm, but, mm, that's a good point. What do you, what do you think of a uh, Mimir? I don't know if I've Oh, Mimir. Mimir, Mimir yeah. yeah. It's like a Mimir in Old Norse, but let's not get into that. It doesn't matter. But <laughs> Mimir, um, I think, well, I'm, I think he's one of the uncles of Orthon. And I'm not sure if it's really like uncles in, oh, uncle, buddy, chum, pal. It's more like, oh, yeah, you're my uncle by blood, but not in spirit. Um, I'm not sure he's technically alive. Well, again, mythic time can be thrown into here. And so he's probably alive and at the same time dead. He got, deca he got decapitated uh, by the Vanir uh, for basically, well, essentially another god called Hunir, which is another god I'm going to mention. He's not talked about lots. He was sent over the hostage and he was basically put in charge to some extent of the Vanir. And they questioned him for guidance. But every time Mimir wasn't there, he was absolutely rubbish. And they thought, okay, this is outrageous. They did something horrible. And so they killed Mimir, a little bit extreme if you ask me, but they killed him, decapitated him, sent him over to like Walden, I believe, and said, ah, look what we've done. And Walden basically did some magic and probably pickled his head so he didn't rot and basically made him come back to life. Although it depends really. I'm always on the fence when it comes to this. Is Mimir alive again, but as a ha head or is his head just talking with his knowledge? Now, that's where I'm going to go. He's kind of a wisdom god himself, actually. Mm. Um, and he or was the guardian of the well of Mimir, which Orthon went one time when he still had two eyes and he sacrificed one of them so he could drink. And he naturally had his brain power just went boom like that. Yeah. Because it was, was so gonna, holy. I was going to jump onto that, actually, about the whole um, sacrifices that Odin's made to gain uh, wisdom and knowledge. Um, mm. Do you think that's a big part of you know, who Odin is, like the sacrifice element. Yes. Like one of his kennings or names is the Mad One. And to be fair, his name, at least in Old Norse, definitely means the Mad One, Orthon, the Mad One. 
And so he definitely sacrificed the eye because he wanted to learn something and he was going to go that far to mad extremes to do it. And so he did. Like, think about it again with the poetry thing. He wanted to drink that poetry, even if it wasn't going to give him like actual wisdom or, or prophetic abilities. He mm -hmm. wanted to learn how to do it the best. <laughs> and so he went through all of that tale just to drink it. He went through the Jotunheim land. Sorry. Sorry if I'm speaking very poorly. Uh, he got into fights. He's nearly got killed by one guy with a drill or something before he went into a snake form and went through a mountain hole. Mm. And then he seduced a woman and kind of just left her to weep, sadly, prick. And then he went through all that just to get the poetry. So you're thinking, okay, this guy is certainly crazy, and he will get what he wants if he really does have the skill and capability. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think. Does he sacrifice anything else? No, I don't think he has been recorded sacrificing anything else. But oh, he, hangs, he hangs on the tree, yeah. Oh, yeah, himself. I forgot about that. Thanks for reminding me. No worries. For the um, holy number of nine days and nights. That's, that's right. It's just, yeah. Um, and also, I'm quite interested. He's not really spoken about that much, but uh, Heimdall. Heimdall, yeah, that's another one. Uh, guardian of the gods, or watchman, should I say. Watches the Bifrost, the Rainbow Bridge. Or, I don't know, turns it on and off again. Um, yeah, he's, he's quite an interesting guy. But again, I mean, there's not a lot um, of... He is not a lot of he is Say said it. to be the whitest of the gods, or at least in one version, which doesn't mean skin-wise, it means handsome. So he, he's said to be one of the most handsome gods out there. And this made me laugh, because I bet he would probably punch me silly if I ever said this to him. But apparently he has golden teeth. So I'm just thinking of some sort of gangster <laughs> with like the uh, words on their teeth. <laughs> yes, yeah, like a grill. <laughs> yeah. yeah he's, he's, he's kind of like, um, kind of like a solar deity in a way. Then a little bit, yeah, yeah. I kind of see him like that. If he's got gold, like gold teeth, says to me, the sun. He's he is said to be able to see many leagues, and a league is three point five miles, so he can see many leagues. And his hearing is so attuned, allegedly, that he can hear the grass and the sheep's wool grow. I thought, oh crikey! And his ear is said to be on the branch of Idrasil or Eormensil, if we want to be Anglo-Saxon. Oh, that's interesting. So that's why he can hear so well because he's put his ear in the tree or on the tree which is connected to all the worlds and therefore can hear everything or nearly anything and, and speaking of like um kind of like solar deities and handsome etc have you ever done in the boulder no actually but i want to so badly i really want to i just don't know what, yeah. I think, as well i think he's one of those overlooked ones as well i think because in the stories it's like he's killed and i think sometimes mm. when that happens or you read about it like oh this is what happens to him people tend to not forget but they just it, you know, I would say he's the most famous overlooked one. Yes, yes, that's <laughs> a good they, way of putting it. I don't want to insult people who are probably quite knowledgeable and wise, possibly even wiser than I, but I would say that most people see him as a plot point rather than a being in his own right, like an actual person, somebody mm. that has feelings, that has joy, that has powers. And he's definitely a solar deity, if you ask me, especially yeah. since if you do linguistic stuff, his name in... Um, uh, German, or should I say his alternative name in German, Old High German should I say, is Voltag which has the uh, cognate in Old Norse which is Baldeg and then there's the Anglo-Saxon version Bildai, and Bildai means fire day, and that means he's technically if we're going off linguistics, a fire god and since he's all about light and purity possibly mm. quite solar-like mm. Yeah, man. He's so Nana 
and some could argue that that's a minor goddess. He also has a brother named Hothur, which is blind, but also he is said to be nearly as strong as Thunor in strength. Sorry, Thor. Um, oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Very interesting. I argue that since we don't know much about him as well, that we're probably not going to pray to him, but even though he can't see, perhaps he could give you a strength bonus. I don't know. Well, we're that... having our we're having our uh, first ever gathering within the UK North Speaking yeah. Discord, and we're having it uh, some point next month. And um, I think it could be cool to. I know we don't. I don't think we've got anything big planned for Boulder necessarily. But when we do I'm, split off and do smaller things, we should definitely do something with that. Definitely me and you. I would happily do it with you. Yeah, and I would happily we should, do it for Boulder. We should do it. Speak, actually, you know what? Speaking just now, as I've talked about the gathering, um, and I was maybe going to do something on ancestors, you raised a really interesting point the other day about why you don't really include the ancestor veneration or honoring, honoring just now. Um, I think and I wonder but go go ahead yeah I, I wanted to do, i just wanted to see if you wanted to share what you said because i actually found it very interesting uh yes yeah, so at the time my fellow listeners or should i say your fellow listeners um i you were asked basically asking generally does anybody do ancestor worship and i basically said no and i asked whether you want to know why and you said yes and my reasoning was that well most of my uh known ancestors or my family nowadays are atheist and probably just past my grandmother on my father's side all of them were christian to some degree now i it's not that i hate them instinctively it's not that i'm saying oh you're christian get away from me but ah. it's because i don't want to do any prayers or offering to them because i feel like one if they saw heard or whatever they do up in heaven they would probably look down and think oh filthy heretic and mm. at the same note it's there's they also worship a different god so even if they were tolerant it would kind of feel like i'm dragging them into my pantheon's realm of reality even though they probably just want to be where they are mm. um mm. i will admit though i would happily pray to the actual heathen ancestors but i don't know any of them now there are cases where one could argue that oh but william the conqueror was the triple great grandson of rollo the walker a norse viking and most Englishmen and people descended from the English can trace ancestry to him. So why not do him? Well, yeah, you're right. I didn't. I just kind of thought about that right now. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. um, for the most part, I don't really know many names of ancient ancestors because they're ancient, and most of my ancestors were probably just commoners, so they're not going to have like a massive saga written about them. I see uh, your point. Uh, I think it's a really good one. I think it's a massive like. Uh, it's like a hurdle in a way because it's like I kind of feel that way somewhat as well. Um, because all my ancestors would have been, uh, well, all my recent ancestors in the last few hundred years would have been um, Christian. But then I'm like, well, I can, I don't know them, you know, the kind of more ancient kind of ancestors, but they still exist. And I can mm. reach out to them, even if I don't know their names, they are my ancestors and they will be listening. Um, That's how yeah. I feel. Um, so I, but I also speak to the Christian ones as well. It's just that when I do do the ancestor veneration thing, I, I agree with you, like, it, I was kind of thinking I'm bringing them into their Christian. They they might not appreciate it. But the thing is, when I am speaking to them, I'm not talking about the gods. I'm not talking about anything like that. It's more mm. I leave them. I leave them something, and I'm asking them to watch over me and my family. And that that's it. It's 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 it's, it's more around that for me. I will admit, though, like just after we kind of had that conversation yesterday, I did started pondering uh, a bit further. I thought wait, I don't have to pray to them per se. I'm not invoking them. 
in mm-hmm. like a very divine manner. I don't have to ask them to do anything and say, oh, by the gods and whatnot. I can just yeah. give them respect and say, rest in peace and speak to them or try and speak to them and just do what you just said, offer to them, yeah. lay flowers for them. So I don't actually have to do anything that's massive prayer, oh, be one with me and so on. But yeah, it's nice. There was, there was someone on the Discord who put something really interesting. I think there's two, there's, there's probably three camps, but we'll just talk about two camps. There's the ones who believe that, you know, ancestor veneration, your ancestors will actually play an active part in, in uh, interfering in your life for the better. Uh, mm. They have the power to do that. There's that camp. Another camp is that, you know, they don't actually have the power to do that, but it, it, it does make sense to honour them. They are your ancestors, your family line. You should you should honour them, although they won't have a direct, um, you know, influence on things in the now. Does that make sense? Yeah, and there's probably another camp which just don't don't do anything to do with ancestors at all. It's just not something they include. I would um, say, in my mind, I'm in between both the f- first two you mentioned. I am too, actually. I'm yeah. I'm in between. I'm not fully one or the other because I'm still formulating it in my mind. Because again, being quite new to all this, it takes time to solidify these things. But like, I do find that for me, like ancestor um, honoring them or veneration, uh, it's it's helped me feel. Again, right, there's a reason for this as well. I don't have a big family. Um, so I guess it's more important, really. Yeah, there's more, it's, very, it's just me, my wife and my kids. That's it. No one else that I know of living. So for me, it, it has taken on a much more intense kind of thing where I felt, oh, there's a connection there. Like when I did the family research and it went back to like the um, the Norse uh, Jarls of Orkney and all that kind of stuff, I was like... I felt something like it was, it was important for me basically and I felt like a connection going back so I, ha- I have been incorporating it more mm. but I just thought I wanted to bring up what you said because I think that is a that I think a lot of people coming into this religion will think about those they'll think all right I've read that I should honor the dead and venerate my ancestors but they're Christian and what if I offend them I think that's a really clever question and it's important to have it really a... Mm-hmm. I think it's a very understandable and I'm tempted to say appropriate kind of idea or thoughts. Mm-hmm. Well, then, then there's the camp people who say, oh, but those Christian ancestors, they're not in heaven because heaven doesn't exist. They're in hell, oh, yeah. as in, as in, as in uh, heathen hell, um, which I don't agree with personally. Yeah, um, that's the one true faith box, isn't it? And I don't like yeah. that. No, I don't like that either. Because I, I, I think like <laughs> it makes total sense. If you believe in polytheist well this is just me right so again anyone believe what you want i don't mind what other people do but for me if i believe in all these gods and these legendary stories and stuff i am only a man right in my 30s i live in the 21st century right what what knowledge do i have that's so grand and how what for me i'd have to have some hell of an ego to say this is their only religion and there is no heaven and <laughs> this doesn't mm. exist and there's no that and there's no this. It's just this and everyone else is on the wrong path. That that, that doesn't seem right polite. to me. Yeah, first of all, it's not polite. And second of all, it doesn't seem right. It just seems it seems very mm. egotistical. Just But if, if people out there believe that, that's cool, man. That's fine for them. It's just that I don't. So. Then again, as like a multi-god kind of thing, we instinctively, naturally anyway, have that tendency to not believe in that. Mm. Mm. Um, you know speaking of ancestors I'm actually going to go on to something which you're probably going to like at least in concept and that's divine ancestors and mm. um, 
because for anyone who doesn't know or knows very little, and I'm not knowledgeable here, but I'm just going to say what I know, is that there are some gods, mainly, um, I was going to say Woden, but yeah, Woden and Frey or Ingui, who are the ancestors of great kings or people who were then became kings. And since mm. they had children who had children who had children, uh, it's quite likely, if you believe in that in a very literal sense, um, that most white Europeans from like Northwest, pretty much all Europeans, I guess, if you believe in it, are again, children of the gods. And then you got to take into consideration, okay, what about other pantheons and all that mingling of humanity? And then you got to think, crikey, there must be so many divine ancestors. Mm. I think you, you'll know the names. I just don't know them yet. Um, who were the Anglo, or they might not be an Anglo-Saxon, but the Anglo-Saxon divine twins that came over? Ah, yes. Henga. And Horsa. Yes. Stallion so, and horse. Yeah, yeah, that's so, see, for me, that's so cool. That's what got me onto this Anglo-Saxon thing more, and that's why I've been reading, wanting to read Hammer of the Gods and learn more about Anglo-Saxon kind of stuff, because I don't think they were technically, were they technically Anglo-Saxon, but it's kind of like part of that now? Well, from what I can gather, I actually read a book from a guy named Gerald of Wales, and he briefly mentioned, oh wait, no, it wasn't Gerald of Wales, it was Tacitus, yeah, it was Tacitus, um, and then I read Gerald of Wales, and Gerald of Wales mentions the invasions of the Anglo-Saxons loosely, and Tacitus mentions the various Germanic tribes. Now, he mentions a couple of guys who were gods or are gods because they're probably still alive. And he says that a group of people venerated these people and they are the gods and they seem to be brothers. And I thought, OK, that's definitely Hengist and Horsa. So back in those days, before the actual invasions, they were seen as gods. But it seems that this interpretation of them became mortal. Now, whether that was just euhemerization or because... Now, okay, perhaps I'm taking a big leap here, but perhaps mm -hmm. the gods actually incarnated themselves as brothers, as mortal flesh, who just so happened to be descended from Woden as great-grandchildren. Mm. That's a possibility. So probably and, a big leap. And didn't Alfred um, claim some kind of divine ancestry? Am I wrong there? Alfred the Great, King of Wessex, he claimed ancestry from Woden, King of the Gods. Mm. And he was Christian. Now, perhaps he didn't believe in it or he was only doing it for political gain, which I think you probably should, yes. um, what's the word, put that into your thoughts as well, instead of just taking everything as yeah. like a fact. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, for somebody who likes to believe in legends, I do believe in some of them. Yeah, I think I think for him, for King Alfred, it was definitely political because he was a very astute uh, mm. individual indeed. But some of the other ones are really interesting. Like you got, you don't have Castor and Pollux, where they they were I think they might have been Roman or Greek. I'm not sure. You've got Romulus and Remus. Was that right? And they're yes. kind of almost looked at divine twins as well. So Romulus I think this... and Remus. Sorry to interrupt here, but Romulus and Remus, even though this is a heathen discord. Um, mm -hmm. No, I mean heathen podcast, is that Romulus and Remus are actually the grandsons or great-grandsons. No, they are the grandsons of Aeneas, who I think, according to the Aeneid, is the demigod son of Aphrodite, or to the Romans, Venus. So, hmm, interesting. Hmm, that is interesting. I, I, and, it, and, it's, and it's funny because I, as far as I remember, um, uh, Hengis and Horsa, uh, one of them kills the other, does he not? I don't think they kill each other, no. The story goes, their legend says that they were invited by King Vortigern, king of the Britons, and they fought, fought against the Picts with their mercenary band, and sadly, Horsa died. Uh, uh, but, Heng but Hengist basically went on to be the first king of Kent. 
Yes. Okay. So I'm getting the I'm getting the Romulus and Remus one confused. Yeah. I think they kill each other. One of them kills the other. Uh, Reem gets killed by Romulus. Yeah. Yeah. That that was my bad. Um. But yes, it's it's interesting, and I bet you this all harkens back somehow to our our usual suspects, the Proto Indo Europeans. Yes. Yeah. Because they are a very common trope, if you will, if you can mm. call divine tropes. And uh, you'll find them in all Indo-European religions. And they always seem to be the sons of the king of the gods. And to some extent, the pe- the guardians or the travel guides to the sun and the sun goddess or dawn goddess in some occasions. But they're kind of interchangeable. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. hundred percent. And so. Oh, you go first. No, no, sorry. I was going to just interrupt you rudely there. You go ahead. Uh, I was going to say that my personal view, and this is a very big leap, so don't take this as fact, but my personal view is that Hengist and Horsa are gods, and they actually are guiding um, Suna, or Sol, in her chariot. So you know how you know how Mani, if you mm-hmm. probably remember, you probably don't, but if you do, he has two companions, Bill and Huki. Now, they seem to be euhemerized, or turned human, if you will, by Snorri, into basically a boy and a girl. But they seem to be divine people from a Jutun, it seems. Now, mm. he has two companions, but the son does not. But Hengus and Horsa, as divine twins, even if they themselves, Hengus and Horsa, aren't, but the other versions, if you will, are, they normally uh, accompany the son. So my idea is that uh, Mani, he has Bill and Huki, but Sol, he, she, sorry, has Hengist and Horsa. Right. Very interesting, man. That is very Again, interesting indeed. Personal, personal thoughts, don't take it mm. as fact. Do what you want. Mm. Yeah, man, I like that. That, that, that is a, definitely a, a perspective. I need to maybe do some more reading on these kind of things because it's not like the, the whole divine twins thing and divine ancestry and etc. is not something I've looked into much, but it definitely, as you've just illustrated there quite well, appears quite often throughout various pantheons so it's interesting man um, and yeah. if, if you think like if you had like if you were speaking to someone online or whatever and they were just new and they were like what sh- what book should i get where should i go to for sources on things what would you say to them well like most people definitely a poetic editor and probably a prose editor after that now the prose editor even though i don't want to smash snorri too much um definitely does have some obvious Christian things, at least in my Penguin uh, Classics edition. Like mm. there was a moment in the very beginning of my version, it does the creation myth of Christianity. So it goes, mm. in the beginning, there was the word and the word was God. And he said, let there be light. And I thought, okay, this is annoying. Yeah. Um, and then there is a few bits. It's like pockets where you're thinking, oh, is that Christian or not? Like there's a mm. hall and there's a hall allegedly from Snorri's account called Gimli or something like that. And it's apparently, bright radiant thing at the edge of heaven and i thought hmm could that be christian like again i don't want people to be super paranoid and basically think ah it's christian get away but yeah on the same note much like most things we've talked about here be somewhat careful and don't take everything as like ah yes this is it yes Um, there is actually one bit where snorri well not really snorri should i say but the legendary figure and i think his name is gilfi gilfa at mm. least one of them, he says, oh, which gods are the highest in heaven? And basically goes for, oh, yes, Woden and Thunor. I'm sorry, I keep using Anglo-Saxon. 
Uh, and then he mentions Jesus Christ, the creator of heaven, the creator of earth. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they can't help themselves. It's one of those things. What can you do? So you think, so so poetic edda, prose edda, anything else you can think of? Um, those are the main sources in terms of like, if you want the bare bones, if you will, of the gods. Mm. I think even though I haven't got many sagas, from what I can gather, there are they do seem to be some sagas out there which have little pockets of information about the the gods, where some of the characters, if if you will, actually have interactions with the gods to some form, and therefore kind of build more into them. Now I can't mm. name any. I can't name any because I only got one, which is about people in Iceland basically living their lives and getting angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there does seem to be one where a guy who is either half Jutun or quarter Jutun, who's massively tall, naturally, um, he basically gets put in a situation where he's surrounded by the gods in this opening, almost like in a throne room overlooking him. And mm-hmm. Thunor is like, I curse this man. He will be miserable and whatnot. And mm-hmm. I think Thunor actually was said to have ripped off uh, one pair of arms because he had like four. So he wow. ripped off one pair of arms, uh, which painful, ow. And... I think Woden was there too, allegedly, and he was just like, yeah, but yeah, but this guy, he seems kind of cool. So, mm. yeah. But so, that, so there's moments like that in some sagas where you're thinking, okay, there's mention of the gods right there. Um, I'm trying to recall now. Is there anything else I can recall? No, sadly, I cannot. Who's your main YouTube people that you watch? Okay, so for anyone listening, these are the people that I normally follow for. Uh, anything super accurate or in depth. So one is Survive the Jive. So Survive mm. the Jive. He Excellent. he does some Indo-European stuff, but he does do quite a bit, mainly because he's an Englishman. Some Anglo-Saxon stuff and Norse. He's more of like a focus on Germanic, but he also does Indo-European. Now mm. there's another guy that I think many people in the audience may know, and that's Jackson Crawford. <laughs> think he's a heathen i don't think he actually believes in it but he's quite a good scholar who's very accurate and doesn't put his bias on anything or tries not to yeah uh, i like that about him mm. yeah there are some times where you kind of get annoyed because he doesn't inta- uh, what's the word humor some fan theories if you will about the yeah, gods someone asked, but someone asked it's if natural. he was christian or if he was heathen i can't remember what and he said that he, he, he kind of trolled them he kind of i can't remember exactly how he said it but yeah something 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 it's none of your damn business <laughs> and I was like, I like that. And that is that that kind of comes across in his personality. Like that's his mm. private life. He's not willing to share what his actual beliefs are. He just sticks to, to uh, people would probably turn away or go too far into his product, if you will, if he revealed. Mm. Well, apparently he's got a great course coming out. I don't know when being maybe uh, next year. And it's it's like a great um, he's like releasing courses, it online. Courses plus. Say that again. Great courses plus. Yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. Um, uh, so about cool. him, he basically does language and myth, mainly. He's he's fluent in Old Norse, uh, so that's really interesting. And he does have videos where he tries teaching you some. Uh, but he, mo- he mainly goes through some of the sagas and some of the myths and tries picking out some of the hidden details that may exist. Like, there's one moment where he talks about Loki and the creation of humanity, how there's two versions, but one of them being... Hunir, Othin, and Lothar. Now, he basically mm. speculates how Lothar could actually be Loki. And I kind of adapted this into my own belief because the reasons he gave made me actually believe it. I thought, wow, that makes so much sense. But 
he's he's a good guy. He's he's very informative. He's he doesn't waste any words, and he says what he means. Yeah, yeah. And, he's a straight straight shooting Texan. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> from University of Colorado Boulder and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I, I think a few would be. So well, there's this one guy who I like watching, and he's not like a super historical like linguistic. He's a he's a fellow worshipper, and he's quite into it. Like you can kind of get the idea that he is a fellow journeyman, not some sort of leader. He's trying to figure it out for himself, and that's a guy mm. named the Seeker of Wisdom. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah. He, he he doesn't upload videos too much, but when he does, he it's normally about philosophy because he's actually quite good in his philosophy. He loves philosophy. And he tries yeah. learning what he can. Um, another one would be Ocean Keltoy. He's a bit more, how do I say it? Um, I, I, I don't want to say formal. He's a bit more developed. Because if you looked at the guy that I just mentioned, The Seeker of Wisdom, his videos, even though they are edited and quite good, I will admit, um, compared to like how the Ocean Keltoy does it, he has lighting, he has like effects, he has music. I was, I was about so, to say, he has great lighting. I think that's the only thing I said about his yeah. channel was, he has great he has lighting. Great light. <laughs> and he, actually, Ocean Keltoy, since I mentioned him, he's good. Um, he does, if I had to sum him up as best I can, he basically talks about um, a little bit of philosophy. And he does talk about, lately anyway, he does talk about some sagas and stuff that you probably would never hear of by most people. And so he's probably good to try and listen to, to try and find little nuggets, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah. He does sometimes go into the whole, uh, we are prosecuted by people in America, since he's an American. And he kind of points out some of the things that heathens do and don't, that he yeah. either does doesn't agree with or does agree with now sometimes i do get annoyed at some of the things he does but overall he's a great youtuber in that regard yeah, um, yeah. i think one. One, one last one uh-huh. and this is for all my anglo-saxon people out there and this one's called wind in the world tree he's an american anglo-saxon he kind of knows his stuff and he has done videos with, about offerings and how to give them and even though i think all of us don't really need that he does kind of give an idea of what would probably be the best and most sufficient way of doing it. Hmm. I've heard the name, but I've actually not seen any of his stuff. I'll check it out, definitely. Um, yeah. Probably the one last thing I wanted to ask you, just as we were talking, I was just thinking, because for me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm married, I've got kids, I've got family, so I, I live in my own place, so I can set up my altar in my house however I like. I don't need anyone else's opinion on how I live my life. You are 18, 19? I am 18. 18. So I assume you live at home. Yes. Yeah. So what is it What is it like when you live at home? Are there other challenges you face with regards to family or friends when you kind of come into this religion? Honestly, if I had to be truly honest without any biases, I can. No, not really. No. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's block for me, really. It's not mm-hmm. actually what they would do. It's what I think they would do, which probably ah. would happen. Yeah, um, I get you. So I have a desk in my room and I have like a few books on it. One from Ibn Fadlan about the people in Russia and a Norse Viking language book. Now, if I want to do an offering, I always do it here because it's nice and tidy, especially when I get rid of it all. And I can light my candles and I pour some libation and I normally get down on one knee and I pray. And it's just a good way, especially since it's in my room. I can close the door and I mostly do it actually when my parents are not home. Uh, again kind of that whole fear of what they might think kind of thing yeah that's Um, interesting because even in my own home i ask everyone to leave the room my altar is in my main living area 
So I tend to I get always, people to leave. <laughs> I, I always try and make my room nice. Like I understand I'm not actually bringing the gods into my room in person, but I always try yeah. and make sure I have, my bed is somewhat fashionable. My clothes aren't all over the floor, whatever they may be, and some things are in the drawers. So then when I do this, if the gods do see me, if you will, they won't think I'm some sort of slob. That's important. I think even that psychologically prepares you. It's like, it's like um, maybe before a sports game or something. Even though their shoelaces are tied, an athlete might like retie them or something. Or before a job interview, um, mm. you want to put on, you, you know, you look your part and and go through a certain process. So I think what you're doing is like psychologically prepping yourself as well for yeah. an interaction with the divine. You know, I have had in recent memory had this one moment perhaps it's just one of those psychological things where you think it is but it's not but there was one time when i think i was offering to aostra yeah because it was the latest one um and i think i can remember saying few, some of her kennings both historical and kind of self-made mm-hmm. and i think by the time i got close to the end of the offering uh, or the ritual i felt like this feeling around my heart and chest and there's also like this tingling that went up my back and i thought oh Okay. Now, again, perhaps it's just psychological making me think that I am, but mm. I felt, oh, perhaps she was listening to that. It could be. I mean, yeah. you'll know in your gut instinct, I think. I think part of this as well, what you're saying there is like some of the stuff that I've felt as well, as, as well where I'm like, um, oh, am I like, like how you're saying, I don't know if that was just me mentally doing that or if there was something actually happening. Well, I feel that way sometimes because when i got a bit of good luck the next day after i asked for good luck and like look, looking out for my family from freya i was like oh it's just a coincidence and i'm like but is it a coincidence you did ask for it exactly and then there's two sides to that there's i don't want to fall into the trap of being the person who and the, they, they exist and that's fine him who thinks everything's a sign because that's mm. almost like living your life as like a schizo paranoid person, um, which I don't think is good to be. Like, oh, that's a sign. That's a sign. That's a sign. I saw two birds. It's a sign. It's like those weren't ravens. Those were crows. <laughs> Do yeah. you know what I mean? Um, like here in Britain, if you're from abroad, we don't have many ravens. That's probably in East Anglia. Yeah. But other birds, it's pretty much crows. So if you're British of some denomination, uh, <laughs> calm down. They're not ravens. They're crows. Yeah, I think it's also because people's. But 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 saying that, that's one end of scale. I think the other end of scale is. Well, no, no, everything's just coincidence, which isn't mm. right either. So I think no. being in the middle, being in the middle and just, and, and, and what you've described to me doesn't sound like something you've just made up in your head. It sounds like something more, which is good. I think it's a great mm. thing. And you think you'll know deep down in your own gut as well, the difference somewhat, you know? Yeah, I think surprisingly, if you have any a conversation about anything, 95% of the time it's always balance there's always a balance whether it be physical mental spiritual and so on it's always a balance like 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 Zach talked about a sign um in the trees oh yeah wasn't the I like that one. because that I like that because that made sense to me and we mm. talked about being he wouldn't have seen that sign before as well perhaps he wouldn't have noticed but because he's open and receptive he sees it and it was quite striking for him and I, I, I like that and it made sense to me, you know, and it's similar to the um, kind of thing you're describing as well. Somewhat similar to this whole idea about signs, I'm going to talk about fate and how sometimes fate can be a sign. Mm-hmm. And um, now I 
did believe in fate to some degree before I became religious because I thought, oh yeah, X, Y happens and then Z, you know, happens. Um, but you know this gathering that we're going to have? Mm-hmm. Well, when we were first, and I mean like the group as a whole, when we first wanted to do a gathering, this was probably like two years ago, well, not two years ago, last year ago, and we wanted to do a Yule gathering, so a Christmas gathering. Now, I couldn't go because I was too young and I didn't really feel ready but then it got cancelled i thought okay that's a shame but then Mm -hmm. a few months later uh they want to put one another one up and i thought oh right this is my chance fate has smiled upon me so i managed to get a position why not get a position i was kind of like teetering on the fence uh then that one got moved to what the current date is now which we shall all hopefully see each other on and i was Mm -hmm. like oh no i won't be able to go because i built this whole thing up and ah but then i thought wait a minute no, I'm going to allow myself to go this because fate demanded it. So yes. even though um, it may be a bit silly, I believe the Norns or my personal fate without them said, you're going, go. Mm, I agree with you. I think that I never believed in stuff like fate before. And I find it very comforting to believe in it now. And it makes sense to me. I think that Hmm. it's fate is this other people have different opinions maybe maybe, I, maybe i'll change my mind on this one day but at the moment my fate is set just like it says uh fear not death for the hour of your doom is set and none may escape it right hmm. you know there are many paths about... there are oh, many sorry, paths there i'll just quickly finish this just just um there's many paths there to your fate you can take different yeah. paths you can take lots of paths they will eventually lead there though there, there's certain key things that you cannot escape death being one yeah. of them obviously of course death is like even people who don't believe in destiny per se they can all say that there is a destiny to death yeah Um, nailed it uh, so what was i going to say ah yes so you kind of just indirectly summed up what i was going to say but there's this anglo-saxon version of the word fate or well it's tied to fate and it's called weird at least that's the modern anglicized variation yes i've heard of that and it's spelled like w-i-r-d and basically this is fate but it's a bit more complicated than okay you're destined to do this this regardless of what you think because Mm -hmm. weird is a bit more fluent uh so i would argue in my personal belief mainly because of what i found out about this that fate does have its moments where it's like okay you will do this regardless of what you wish but i would argue that it's also um what's the word fluent you can alter it to some degree yes can it change then weird that's what i can ask you can you, yes. can you alter it? Yes, because I think one of the main principles, if I'm remembering it correctly, is that weird, the the things that you've done in the past, as well as the ancestors or just people in general in the past, mm. always have a presence in now and possibly in the future. Now, mm. if you do something now, it will happen to your future per se. If I did something good, similar to karma, something good will happen to me in the future. Um, but if I did something bad, then something bad. If I did nothing, then nothing. Mm. Um, so let's say I was to like rescue an old lady from a bus attack or something but then a few years a few years later even if it, it could it could be the tiniest thing that bit of weird that fate could come back and be like oh well you did something noble here's something a noble fate can give you and mm. cool. so it is influential not influential it is um something that can be influenced and I think a great analogy which I think Zach said not on your last episode but on some other situation where we we're just talking for fun is that mm. fate is almost like a tree in our belief 
where when it grows, it will grow to a certain way, but the branches can be twisted and so on. They can bend and go into certain directions. Yeah. But regardless, they always reach an end. I love that. 100%. So, it's a weird, the weird you, concept I've read briefly about before, but I, I find it quite um, like I understand the basics of it, but I would love the opportunity to discuss with ooh. you and others that in more depth at some point. Yes, there's actually a good YouTuber which I just reminded myself on. Uh, he hasn't done a video for a while. He's only done three, but he's called the Feardsman. The Feardsman. I he's know the kind one. of yeah. He's, he's a he's a great for your Anglo-Saxon needs. Um, he does talk about it in one episode, and he does it really well. And that's basically where I'm drawing it from. I watch so it. if you watch if you want to know more, go to that guy. Find him if you can. The Feardsman. Yeah, the Feardsman. It's got a Y in it. Um, yeah. And he's great, absolutely great. And he explains it far better than ever I could. Also, okay. sorry, sorry if I confused anyone who's listening. No, no, I think I understood what you, I followed what you said. Um, and mm. it's basically the same as my own kind of understanding of it. I need to, like I said, I'm going to definitely delve into that video because it's something I really want to get to grips with. Well, mm. um, Elliot, thank you very much for. Oh, no, we're an end. <laughs> <laughs> all good things must come to an end man this is where the path ends for today it is my fate yes <laughs> exactly it was always predestined to end here at the 100 minute mark but listen i really appreciate you um taking the time to have a chat with me i really actually really enjoyed that and it went off in some really cool tangents again man i'd love the opportunity to speak to you again in the future and uh, maybe post gathering where we can talk about what it was Ooh. like uh, yes, after please. we all gathered together you know That'd that be would cool. be great i'd love to do it again yeah, I think it'd be I think it'd be important to share that with people as well, um, so that they can get an idea of maybe our opinions on things have changed, or maybe our maybe we've experiences, experiences exactly, and maybe maybe we've uh, helped cultivate some really good frith in, in in our community. You know, mm. just please don't stab me with an axe or hack me. <laughs> don't worry, we're not going to blood eagle you or sacrifice you. That was only a oh, joke. It's just everybody in the Discord is like, let's sacrifice Elliot. Let's sacrifice Elliot. It's like, okay, no, fine. No, no. There'll be no human sacrifice. <laughs> don't worry. It's all fine. Just teasing. Let's I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> you're not ready for that yet. Your your road doesn't end here. I can feel it. It's, it's, you've got a long future ahead of you, my friend. So anyway, sorry. I'll, I won't keep you from ending the video. Listen, <laughs> thanks very much, mate. And um, I'll catch up with you soon, buddy. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.